Today, we are talking with Andrew Battenhorst. He is the manager of Pacific BMW in Glendale, California. And good old Andrew, they just won at Pacific BMW, the number one BMW CCRC shop. Yay! Can you hear the applause from the crowd? (laughs) We are talking with Andrew about all of the incredible things he has done there. He's been there for almost five years. He has completely changed that shop and what they are doing out of that shop. Everything that we talk about today is so applicable. It doesn't matter what size of shop that you are in or that you are running. This is something you're going to want to take notes on and start implementing in your shop. Check it out. Welcome to Body Bangin', your podcast for all things body. Auto body, that is. And now, introducing Body Bangin's host, Mickey Woods of Mickey Woods Marketing. Mickey is a former Auto Collision Center owner and is now a marketing and business development expert to shops across the globe. Hey, 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 welcome back to the Body Bangin' Podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you are watching on YouTube right now, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any of these episodes. And if you're listening on, gosh, any of the other podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it, make sure you're following us so that you get alerted when a new one drops. So today... We have actually a guest that has been on with us before, Andrew Battenhorst. Hello, Andrew. Thanks for having me. The crowd goes wild. He's back. (laughs) (laughs) Hard to believe it's it's been two years since we last spoke. A lot has changed. A lot has changed in the world. So last time Andrew and I spoke, we were mid-COVID talking about the war on talent and everybody was dealing with technician issues. And we were just talking about before we came live on the show that we still are. Uh, So I'll give you a little brief background on Andrew. He is the, are you the general manager there at Pacific BMW Collision Center? I'm just in charge of the body shop here. The body shop. So uh, Pacific BMW is a dealership and Pacific BMW that Andrew manages is the body shop side of it. And that's in Glendale, California, out by me, Southern California. Andrew and I actually used to work like 10 steps away from each other and didn't even know it. (laughs) (laughs) Probably cross paths every few days without even... right. Yeah. Yeah. So Andrew's been in the industry since 99, started out as a detailer, worked his way up. He also worked on the insurance side for a little bit and then and then came back to his senses and came back to the collisions. All the light. Yes, right. Um, he worked for Pride Auto Body for a long time. If you guys are familiar with them, they have several they had several different locations. They ended up selling out and now he's managing the collision center at Pacific BMW. And I want to say, first of all, congratulations. Because if y'all don't know, Andrew's shop of 200... Where is it? I wrote the number down. 272 shops in North America that are CCRC shops, which is the BMW certified shops. His shop, Pacific BMW, is ranked number one. Yes, Amazing. Thank, thank you very much. I owe a lot of it to my team. They're really the ones that uh, got us there, and we honestly did not. I, I we bounced around in the in the network, you know, in the scoring for the last few years in various positions in the top ten. Normally, right? Uh, 
a lot of great shops in the in the whole network and it's very fierce competition. So I'm very, very happy and honored that uh, we were we were at the top of the dog pile. So, <laughs> very proud. Yeah. And BMW has a great collision program. And the people that head it are awesome, awesome people, great resources for the shop. So when it comes to you guys winning this award, this is a big deal. I mean, shops really try and I'm sure it's steep. I have a lot of shops on the BMW CCRC program. It's steep competition. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, Steve Olson, who I know you've interviewed yes. before. I mean, he won it three years in a row. He runs yeah. a very tight operation. Uh, and before him, I know Ed Cobbett, who was uh, mm -hmm. at New Century and also at Spectrum. He he had won it multiple times. So I knew that the caliber of those managers and how they run their operations, that BMW really is looking for the top, top level you know operators in the network. And I think I was told afterwards that the point spread between the top five was very, very close. I'm so, sure. It, 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 like I said, it is very challenging to win. And there's lots of criteria that go into the scoring to be able to win mm -hmm. overall. I mean, it's everything from um, your shop operations, your community involvement, mm -hmm. your customer service scores, uh, a lot of your overall collision metrics. Right. And and they, some of it is also subjective based on the upper management on the BMW program to, you know, if it's, if it's tight, they come up with kind of their own internal mechanism to determine who's, uh, you know, the number one. That's awesome. Yeah. So what do you think that, you know, there are a lot of great shops out there and everybody's got their little formula for success. And your shop has been performing really well. You've been there for almost five years. I think you were saying yeah. two days, you've got your five-year anniversary. Um, what do you feel? I'm sure you have a lot of differentiators at your shop. What do you feel like you you're doing really well that you're super proud of? I think when it comes to it's hard to narrow it down to like one thing, but to kind right. of kind of like a a a, a cake that of that's been baked all perfect with everything decorated on top. And yeah. It, not only it looks good, but it tastes good. Right. So I would say it's kind of it, a big part of it is process. That's probably the overarching thing is having good developed processes that allow the technicians to be efficient, mm. that allow them to not be wasteful, and to really put people in the right spot and make sure that the quality can be duplicated very consistently throughout the whole. You know, whoever's doing it, that it's not challenging for them. And it's clear to see what the goal is for each department. Ah, so, okay. The fine process is really big because then that allows me to not necessarily have to wear my fireman's hat all the time, putting out fires in the yes. shop, which I think is one of the biggest things that plague most, you know, current day body shop managers is that we're dealing with so much of the managing aspect and not so much of the leading component. Right. So I usually look at, I, I, in my in my opinion, I think that having the good processes kind of laid the foundation for me to focus on developing all the technicians and the people on our team to be able to get them, you know, it gets them buy-in because they see we're invested in them. Yeah. And also they see that I'm supporting them in making sure that they have everything they need to have a good career. So it, it kind of lays a, a solid framework for that. And, and it also takes away a lot of the, like I said, the, the fireman you know, syndrome that I think we all face. Because now you have 
things running fairly smoothly, it allows you to focus on growing the business, not necessarily being in the weeds of every aspect of, you know, I got to call this customer and then I got to check on parts and then I need to talk to that insurance adjuster. And, and then before you know it, it's 4.30 and you probably haven't taken a lunch break and you haven't <laughs> stuff you set out to, right? Right. Time, and I'm sure you do too. Yes. So I think that's kind of like the, 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 the first part of it. And, and me... I'm more of an empathetic leader and I try mm. to make sure that everybody is is feels like they're cared for. Mm. And I use the, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Gallup uh, employee engagement stuff that they have. No. Okay, so Gallup is well known. It's not body shop specific, but Gallup has done tremendous amounts of studies on employee engagement and disengagement, okay. which are all okay. contributing factors to why employees are looking for employment in other places, why they may not perform their best, and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. So I like to use the 12 questions that they have in there that, that is basically a survey I give twice a year to my team to for them to anonymously answer how they feel about what I'm doing. And to Wow, give, I love that. Yeah, it's, it's been a game changer for me. So it's, it's, uh, I think you can, um, you go on Gallup's website, they can give you, you know, um, forms and all kinds of surveys and tools to help you work with employee engagement and all that. A lot of that came through BMW. They have mm-hmm. partnership training includes mm-hmm. that. And then uh, they do also little webinars to help train you on it. And then I kind of ran with it further. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't know a lot of managers doing that because it can sometimes be a, a painful look. Right. You, they don't hold back. No, yeah. they're just <laughs> whether you want to hear it or not. And I have found that for me to grow as as their leader, that that's really the you know one of the, the most important ways for me to take what's maybe bothering them or irritating them or maybe disengaging them from their work to improve. I love the fact that you're a opening yourself up to hearing uncomfortable things because I think as leaders, that's I mean for people in general for self growth of any kind to be the constructive criticism without the judgment on yourself, you know, to be able... So if you're doing a poll like this twice a year, which is amazing because you're really having your finger on the pulse, to get that data and information back, that can be a massive ego check. You can really get angry with yourself and frustrated with yourself or defensive and angry. So to be able to implement something like this and continue with it, I think you really have to get to a place of, I'm going to take this in. I'm going to learn from it. I'm not going to be in judgment of myself and anger of myself because then that would be like lack mindset. And that can be very, then for you, demotivating. (laughs) You're trying to motivate everybody else. Now you've demotivated your own self, right? Yeah, it could be a slippery slope. And that's why I think if anybody you know wants to emulate what I did, take the time to read about it, learn about it, and go through some of the basic training that they offer. And because I think, you know, and we briefly talked earlier, my, my shop is unique in that I I only have the oldest person on my team is like in their early 50s. So they're Gen Xers, I believe, somewhere in that. Right. Everybody else is uh, and I'm 39, so I kind of I'm on the cusp of millennial. Right. Everybody else is younger than me. Yeah. Everybody's either a millennial or a Gen Z. Mm -hmm. So I I have found that I I need to have a good connection with them to understand their pains, their issues, their challenges, and being available to help them and support them. 
shows that I'm I'm willing to be in the trenches with them rather than just sitting up in a tower and telling them barking orders out. And that, that that that's not my style. And I think by yeah. by trying to get on that level with them and using the tools that I have in the shop, it it has allowed us to succeed where others haven't. Yeah. And I think that's what when BMW saw they've seen they've been in the shop countless times. Right. Them. They audit us and everything. Yeah. And I think when they see that, they see the processes and they see the visual things, but then they also look at, well, what are you doing to develop your people and get them there? Well, this is, it's, a, it's not just one silver bullet. It's, it's yeah. a combination of things to do it, even like equipment stuff, right? There's mm-hmm. nothing that pisses off a technician more than having faulty equipment that doesn't let them get their job done and, right. and all that. Right. So there's a lot of other you know things that have to get built into that to make it a cohesive system where people are excited to wake up to come into the shop and work and not just um, you know look at the alarm clock and realize oh but this is great I get to drive into this <laughs> this dump again and be here for hours right right well I think you made a good point and um, I I follow Andrew on LinkedIn and he posted recently a picture of some of his team members in a group and it was beautiful to see the varying ages in the shop especially there are a lot of shops out there that have different ages in the front so the, your CSRs your estimators things like that but actual technicians painters that type of thing to have the different age groups I was like look at him go. I love it. So, and then, so I think that's point number one is interesting. First of all, how, how did you attract that talent to your shop? How did you find those youngsters then? So part of them um, came from the BMW step program. So apprenticeship program they have for body and and paint training. And Uh those guys are like fresh out of high school, or maybe they just graduated from UTI. Right. a, into a more OEM specific type training. Right. So some of them have come through there. Uh, actually, three of them have come out of there. Wow. And the others um, all have been based on just searching for, you know, when I interview, my, my interview process is, is somewhat lengthy. And I, I ask a lot of probably unorthodox questions uh, to gather what their mindset is like, what motivates mm. them, what inspires them, and what you know how that is going to mesh with my existing culture. Right. So that whole idea of developing the shop culture and having something that makes it inviting for people to want to come work here, I have to balance all that with potential candidates to see how they yes. work. So doing personality assessments and probably one or two rounds of interviewing to make sure mm. that they are the right candidate. And even sometimes doing a hands-on skills check and having that candidate spend maybe an hour or two with my team yeah. to get a, a check the vibe from the team to see what yeah. they think about this individual and how they right. would shit. Because they're the ones who are going to be working with them too. Right. So I would say it's got to be a good fit for both both halves. It yeah. And that's it. Yeah, I appreciate that. So how many people do you have total on your team there at that center? I have 12 currently. 12. Okay. Um, and I think that this is something, even for larger shops, that this is very doable. Yes, it takes more time, but look at the value. Because as you and I both know, and, and you listening, one weed takes out the whole garden. You know, it's like yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, the, so vetting people, I don't know if that's the right word, but at least discovering who they are, what their motivators are, allowing them time to try out with the team. And then that helps your team feel like they are part of the process. It's not just, here right. you go. Good luck to y'all. <laughs> and, it, and it's more, in my opinion, it's way more dangerous to have a high producing employee that maybe can flag, you know, 250, 300, 320 hours of pain period, you know, every two weeks. And they're an absolute toxic nightmare. Yes bad attitude and right. the the you know it's a poison that spreads through the whole shop. Totally. And I can't operate the shop with the kind of culture that we need to have where young people are gonna want to be in here. Right. Which is of our of our industry anyways. Who's gonna want to be in a shop like that? Yeah. We're gonna right. when you have competing industries that pay you know, in the mid twenties an hour for starting wages, right? Who's going to want to sit next to a grumpy old, you know, a grumpy guy that's like, I, 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 you know, I leave me alone. I got to do all my stuff. I need to hit these hours. Money's my main motivator. That's not the main fit for what we look for, right? And I think a lot of managers are fixated on the on the accounting side of what's going on mm. in the shop because of you know the pressure from above. And I'm not of course. responsible for it too. Yeah. But there has to be a way to look past that and see what that does to the end of the line and the shop to those employees that can sometimes feel like they're just a number. They're just a tool yes. to hours or dollars or however you want to look at it. Right. Well, yeah. the other thing that is really neat is bringing in the younger group is a lot of shop owners and managers have a difficult time and even other people in the shop have a difficult time relating to them and it's frustrating you know like i hear my my dad comes over and my daughters who are teenagers will be talking to him he's like i just don't under i don't understand it's not like my dad's all that old you know but it's like he's just like i what is it with you kids you know like i don't understand so i think to that point you're touching base with them on a regular basis so that you can understand them. You know what their motivators are. You know what their pain points are. It's it's like any relationship. The better that you know people and the deeper understanding you get with somebody, the more powerful and, and, and stronger the relationship can be, right? Right. And when they're feeling heard and they feel appreciated and understood, like... Oh. What a concept. <laughs> it's funny because when you look in history, like everybody's parents say, well, this new generation's the demise of the United yes. This, you know, we're, we're all screwed because look how these guys they they put piercings in their face or they have tattoos right. in their head or die. Yeah, you know, yeah. At the end of it, we're all just people. Right. And and I, I go to far too many meetings where I'm one of the younger guys in the room and I mm -hmm. see I hear the reactions like these, you know, we're, you know, this industry is all doom and gloom and that it's not possible to operate a, you know, a good type of, of collision shop in this day and age, which I, I think we've proven that that is, it right. we can be very successful. We give people a great career. They can make an amazing salary mm -hmm. and have a home. And yeah. it's, they're just, they're not that different. When people struggle to relate it, I think they just haven't taken the time Mm -hmm. to you know, get to learn what they like and what they don't like. And sure, maybe they have different tastes in music or fashion or whatever, mm -hmm. but we have a job to do on, mm -hmm. on you know, fixing a customer's car the right way. Yeah. And that, that all that other stuff should not cloud a manager's opinion of what somebody is or isn't. Right, right. 
I'm going to interrupt this podcast for just one quick second because a lot of people wonder, Mickey, what is it that you even do (laughs) besides host a podcast? Well, I do marketing. And really the biggest thing that I do is help you drive more traffic to your business. And not even just more traffic, but consistent traffic to your business. As a former shop owner, I know how important that is. So if that's something you're interested in, or you just want to talk about marketing or developing your business in general, feel free to reach out. You can visit collisioncentermarketing.com. There's a calendar on there and you can just book a time that works for you and we'll set up a phone call. Or you can email or call me and my notes are down in the description of this episode. But I hope to hear from you. I'd love to help you build your business. But in the meantime, you better get back to this podcast because it's really good. I appreciate you saying that. Now, I want to go back a little bit in the beginning when we talked because you made a really good point. And I think it's important to bring it back up. Like the main layer when we're talking about this beautiful cake that looks great and it tastes great too. And the key to all of it, I think was a great point was the process. And I I feel like we've people skip over that. And we may have skipped over it because there's so many other things that we can talk about. But I feel like it is the key piece when even in my own business, I feel it even when I own my own shop where there is no solid process, there are going to be problems. Uh, So when you created, which I'm sure adapt and change, evolve over the course of time, but creating those processes, were those things you... Do you have them written? What does that look like? That's uh, I. I am a firm believer, and you've probably seen on my LinkedIn posts. I'm a big supporter of Lean Theory and the yes. Toyota production system, and I've worked with Axon Nobel with their ACO program mm-hmm. uh, since what 2008 or so is when I got mm-hmm. introduced to it. And that at, at the very core of any process in the body shop, you can see whether it's checking in a car all the way to detailing it. I have defined steps for how long it should take to do each mm-hmm. step what the specific steps are, and then we have a quality measurement for those at the end of those steps. So that way the work product for that set of processes looks a certain way. Right. So it takes it took me probably two and a half years to develop all of that and fine tuning it in between. I bet. I made a lot of mistakes. I mean yeah. I'm not perfect, but there was right. a lot of times where we had to redo something or change something. And I have process you know, boards and whatnot hanging in the shop uh, to, you know, that make it very clear and they're defined. It's all posted and visible, mm-hmm. but those aren't permanent. And I right. generally, I, I had uh, the team help me develop the process. Right. Mm-hmm. So what I pose to them is that the process that we're doing, let's say for checking in a car, mm-hmm. what is the value that we're trying to get out of that mm-hmm. process, right? Mm-hmm. And then to simplify it down for the sake of conversation, yeah, cohesive piece of information uh, of of data that can be relayed to our repair planner, mm-hmm. so they can have the customer's concerns and the insurance information, the legal forms we need to have signed, mm-hmm. photographs, and so on and so forth. Is that all done the same way for every customer every time they come here? Mm-hmm. So it's consistent, right? Right. And it also means that you're taking out the the guesswork of, well, Billy Bob does it one way, but then Joe does it another way and, and Ricky does it another way, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because in most shops, people will start to interpret a process to how they see it's fit, whether it's efficient or it's not. Right. These processes, if we have an overarching 
goal of, of what that quality thing should be for that process. Now we can have everybody doing it the same way each time. Yeah. And we're doing repetitive work. So in, right. the, in my shop, it's, it's you know, I'm BMW only, which is a little unique, but mm-hmm. this can apply to all anybody's shop. Yep. You're fixing cars every day. You paint cars every day. You write estimates right. every day, right? So all of those theories can be applied to each step of the entire body shop process from A to Z. Mm-hmm. And you have measurement points to know when something got skipped. Mm-hmm. You measure those skips, right? Those delays or whatever you want to call them. And then use those as training opportunities to find out, okay, here's what's going on with that. So, And then I incentivize it. So mm-hmm. I want them to be bought in that, hey, if you produce X quality for this process, and you control your delays for this, you know, for this particular set of tasks you got to do. You got some skin in the game. I'll give you some yeah. at the end of the month to reward you for right. the gold, right? So it's all about incentivizing the right thing. Because in the body shop world, it's very common to have all these different bonus plans that may incentivize profitability or cycle time or CSI or whatever it's want to be. For me, mm-hmm. I find that. When everybody sees like, oh, Andrew takes quality so serious that he's willing to put that in a pot at the end of the month, mm. give that to them as a reward for achieving the quality standards that we have. Yeah. Well, and that you touched on the answer to my question already a little bit, but I want you to go into it a little bit more because what I see a lot happen in shops is they think they have a process. They believe everybody's doing the same thing. The issue comes down the road when the next team. So you've got the check-in team, right? So then they process it. So potentially yeah. you've got your your techs working on something, and then it goes to your paint prepper, and then the paint prepper sees that there was something not done. It, it, right. Yet they still push the dang car through, and you're like, where are the checks and balances? in all of this? Where do people take responsibility type thing before we're delivering the car, but yet that was actually identified a long time ago, but nobody said anything. Like, Right, right. That's the number one destroyer of worlds, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, you're, you're tolerating garbage. And it may yeah. sound harsh, but it, it, it really is. So right. It's, again, we talked a lot about culture earlier. Yes. You have to be able, once the culture is established and everybody knows, hey, I'm not out to get you. I'm I'm ensuring the quality is being upheld. So rather than having the old school QC checklist that's done by a production manager at the end of the whole thing, quality is is built into those processes and it's Mm -hmm. kind of the gatekeeper. So when, when for your case, when you mentioned about body to paint, I have visual posted examples of what's an acceptable weld versus what's not Mm -hmm. a good weld. Mm -hmm. What's a proper plastic repair versus not. Mm -hmm. What's Proper bondo work supposed to be like right. now, good and bad. One full of pinholes and one nice and clean and feathered properly, right? Right. So that way, anybody in the shop can measure quality, even if you're not a body man or a painter or mm-hmm. a polisher. Anybody can look at the visual standard on the wall and see that this is the quality that needs to be produced. Does the car that I'm QCing right now, does that match of what's up on the wall? Yes, great. Okay, I'm going to accept the job into my department. Okay. Keep going. If it doesn't meet that quality standard, it goes back to the technician that was handing it off and they mm-hmm. correct the problem. And then it can right. pass on to the next right. step. And it's not a long QC process. I mean, people can fall into the trap of having like a two page QC checklist mm-hmm. with probably 50 things on it, but we don't need to do that. I have maybe 
half a dozen items for each checkpoint mm -hmm. in the shop. And then I also have a stall that is was intentionally put into the middle of the shop as a choke point between body and paint. And they, the car has to be parked in that stall for quality to be checked there before it can move into the next receiving department. Nice. And then and vice versa. So when a car is coming out of paint and buff and it's ready to go back to reassembly, mm -hmm. that same stall is used again to verify quality at that point. Because mm. again, the technicians have all figured out, they know that if something doesn't meet the quality standard and they accept it, they're just as responsible as well, that's it. produce the bad quality. Right. It's like, oh. uh, who's going to take responsibility for this? And, right. and I think a lot of that goes to culture. How bought in are you? Are you trying to collect that check so you can bounce at the end of the day? And yeah, you saw it wasn't good, but leave it for somebody else to deal with, right. <laughs> you know? Right. right. And I don't have, I don't have a shop foreman. I don't have a production mm -hmm. manager. And I, I like that my people are able to have some autonomy and yes. they know that within their position, they have responsibility and the power to make decisions based on the processes we have and the goals that we have for quality and what they need to be. And they can make those decisions where I don't need to be behind them, standing over their shoulder the whole time, <laughs> watching them and pushing them. Right. It's all very, it's, it's self-driven. And I think they, uh, you know, some of the guys that work for me came from other body shops where they they dealt with very, you know, strict shop foreman and they're, they're doing what they mm. were trained to do for that shop. But here it's, it's not like that. I've never had to do that. I don't have plans to add a foreman at any point. It's just right. the way our shop is set up and the culture we have and the processes allow everybody to kind of roll the boat very smoothly in the same direction. So. so do you mind sharing with us so people have an idea and kind of can compare the shop they're at versus the shop that you're at? Do you mind sharing like in sales approximately what you guys are doing a month? Sure. We we averaged for all of last year about 350000 I think. Okay. Average. We've gone as high as about 442000 Okay. Uh, and we are... My square footage here is only 7500 I'm. Wow. So you can, my sales per square foot is somewhere in the thirty-eight dollars per square foot. Wow! And I'm not, and I like I said, it is not a big operation, and that's right. why I, I don't look at the normal metrics that, that a lot of managers look at. For me, I look at as an efficiency measure and mm. waste and everything else. The fact that we're only seventy-five hundred square feet that we can produce that much out of such a small shop. And that's not even the ceiling. I, I project that we should be able to do at least five hundred thousand out of here with with before space becomes a major issue. Wow. Yeah. So when because you've got all these checks and balances in place with your procedures, which <laughs> what a beautiful thing. So what is your return rate then? Because things happen, you know. Uh, and you don't eat, like your like the customers coming back with oh. issues or it gets to delivery and now all of a sudden, oops. It's a problem, right. Yeah. Uh, the goal here is less than 5%, which is fairly okay. generous. So that when you average that out, it's maybe one to three cars a month. Is yeah, that's kind not of much. Good. So the goal, every technician, uh, they that's part of their um, performance uh, awesome. is, is rework. So I have, they and I even incentivize that as well. If they yeah. did, if they keep the target, if they stay below 5% for the month, I kick in some money to them at the end to you know, thank them for maintaining that. And they take that very serious. I so the way, the way the system is, I mean, when I got here uh, five years ago, every other car came back with problems. Oh. Every other car. 
and we were losing and hemorrhaging out money because of quality yeah. and all that. And this was a traditional shop when I got here. There was no real process uh, in here. So there was a lot of time worked on quality and how to measure quality and training and all that to get that all to a much better place. So now when there's an issue in the shop, it's just like at Toyota's factory, when there's a problem on the assembly line, the whole line shuts down for yeah. what happened. And then they all come up with a solution. So it's the same thing here. They take that very, very seriously. I bet. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. And I think a lot of shops don't take into account how expensive yeah. rework is. Yeah. I think uh, so. That's why I'm really big on the checks and balances thing versus waiting till the like the typical way, just like you were saying. We've got the production manager yeah. who's kind of overseeing to some general level, and then at the end, QCs the car. And now we got to start the whole process basically all over again. It's like, okay. can, can yeah. you so imagine how much more profitable as a shop owner? or even shop managers, how much more profitable your shop could be. So I think incentivizing your people is going to cost you way less than having to redo all those cars. Yeah. And and like I said, they feel bought in. They see that quality is not something that just sits in the back. It's not something on the wall. You see the motivational things. that Yes. It's not something that is forgotten. It's in the forefront of every process that's done. And you can't pass, you know, a, a job into the next receiving department without it being properly signed and and the quality control check being performed the way it's supposed to be performed. Because that's the other thing: people will pencil whip down the QC checklist, and did they really check it? Right. Right. And then, because they know when it gets to me at the end, I should only see maybe like a little tiny issue at the very end when someone gives me the because I, I look at every car before it goes okay. but my QC doesn't take any more than maybe three to five minutes uh, right. unless it's a train wreck of a job that was in the shop for a long time that yeah. might take a little longer but overall I, I I should struggle to find something wrong so really are you are wrong. you personally delivering every vehicle I don't talk to every client, okay. but I know some of the ones where it's more of a serious repair and very technical job, and they, you know, there's some other underlying issues. I will be involved with those, but I I try to limit that so that way I can be more available to my team yeah. and empower them to be making right. decisions and, and supporting the customer. Right. So one thing I noticed recently, and I'm going to run this by you, I had my vehicle fixed at Jaguar. I have a Jaguar and they just did a service on it. It was, there was a couple of funky things picking it up. And I went and picked it up the other day and sat in the driver's seat. And I was like, oh, this thing's so off, you know? So all I have to do, it's already preset, you know? So I press my number one button, set it up. Okay, now I'm good to go. And I thought that's one of those little things that I think oftentimes when we're running a shop, when we're working in a shop, we get so caught up in the process of things that we forget about the things that the customer cares, our guests care about. You know, like, you know, did we did we do the intake forms properly? Did we did we give them good phone when they call? Did you know were we polite? And I thought, you know, th- these are the little things that they like. They say the devil's in the details. If somebody, if Jaguar, when that girl delivered my vehicle, if she would have put my seat back to the preset and I got in, I would have been like, thank you. Thank you for going that extra little little touch. Took you two seconds to push that button when you got out. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't even know why I'm bringing that up right now, but <laughs> I feel like, I feel like you're the type of shop that would, 
think of these things or, you know, not necessarily that you're presetting and maybe you could think about it because it would be a great idea. But, you know, the things that beyond like our team and, and working really hard is the number one BM shop in the United States. How, what what are the extra little things we're doing from the customer besides doing a great job, which is an amazing thing yeah. and not having a lot of quality issues. That's all an amazing thing. But yeah. for, on the consumer side, they're like, yeah, you fixed my car, right? Isn't that your job anyway? Right. Right. right? I, I think at the core of that, whether it's an employee on your team or it's a customer, people just want to be heard. And they want to know that you care and that you're concerned about them and right. that your concerns are your concerns. So right. during check-in, I have a specific form. We we call it more of like a uh, damage consultation hmm. and because it's more about getting their concerns out in the open, finding out what their biggest worries are about this whole process, whether it's rental car or, or aftermarket versus used or OEM. Right. Cars. Uh, out-of-pocket expenses, or any number of things, right? Yeah. Because when people come here, they already know that the we're certified, we're going to do things right, the car's in good hands and all that. So making sure that things don't get ignored and mm. that we, we do the no update, update, we do the, you know, just constant communication, yes. being available, not letting them feel like they're ignored, that, that all contributes to making things very painless for them. And right. you don't really need to bend over. Like the little details you talked about, we do variations of that, but yeah. they people appreciate that. But I think overall, at the end of it, they just don't want to feel like you're a, you're processing a number and you're yes. just another job. It's just another car. It's just another right. week. Whatever, that, that you're invested in them. And again, if employees don't feel like they have the bandwidth to spend that kind of time with a client because they have all these other tasks, yeah. That's why I don't have my I don't have key to key estimators. To me, that's the number mm. one issue why things like what you described can happen because mm. they are so busy trying to do everything yeah. that they're doing it, everything is being done poorly. Right. So having a separate, you know, CSR or client care representative, whatever you want to call that role, and having a repair planner that can just focus on doing getting all the stuff on the estimate correct and research, researching the repair instructions and getting that all done. That that lends itself to give an even better experience for them because they feel like they have a conduit to the shop, mm-hmm. someone that's right there, whether a text or a phone call away to be in there to help them and get them through. And the proper personality. You know, a lot of times our, our estimators are very analytical and maybe not the most friendly of people. And oftentimes our CSRs are. So that yeah. does make sense. Right. I completely agree. And I and I think. Too many shops are spreading those people thin yeah. because it's hard to get people in the shop. So yeah. those, and that's where you hear of guys working 12, 14 hour days as a as a key to key estimator. You can't do that for very long. You do that for a couple of years, you're <laughs> gonna be burnt out and you're done. And you move right. On. Right. Whereas my repair planner can work an eight hour day, he makes a great salary. Uh, you know, he 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 doesn't have to deal with customers. Mm-hmm. He does what he does best. He, he, this is someone who enjoys negotiating, enjoys being in the weeds of repair instructions and mm-hmm. the technical side of the repairs. Where maybe a, someone who's a people person and or a people pleaser, they just mm-hmm. want to be helping those kinds of people. Right, right. Well, and you get to find all that out through <laughs> your process of <laughs> the hiring process, right? Yes. Yes. It's finding out who that person is so then you can slot them perfectly and at least try them in that slot and make sure that they work out. So, yeah, I think you brought up some really good takeaways today for 
everybody listening because no matter the size of the shop, process, process, process. And I feel like we say the words, but do we really have one? And then after the process, then how to have a checks and balances, you know, a QC before the QC. Like, why are we waiting till the end to QC people? Why are we still doing that? I don't get it. Um, My shops that are have quality and control spots throughout the process, I mean, it diminishes things. And then taking responsibility. Yeah, in a healthy way, right? Yeah. Not in a defensive way where it's yes. pain and, oh, you don't know how to do Bondo, what's wrong with you? It's no, no, it's just, it's like, what can, you know, it's, what can I do to help to get this through? Right. Did I do something wrong? Did I skip a step? What can you do? And that, and painters and bodymen sometimes don't always have the best relationship, right? Right. I, my guys will. There's a very cohesive, you know, team, and they don't mind communicating and helping each other for the common goal. Yeah. But it all starts with me at the end. Yeah. If I could give one overarching message, as I'm sure we're wrapping up here, it's that I have to realize what I am willing to tolerate. And mm-hmm. if I tolerate mediocrity and poor performance and people coming in late. And all these other things that sends a message out to the whole shop that hey, Andrew's okay with all that, no problem. Right. I could show up 15 minutes late. I could take a longer lunch and not clock back in on time, and I could do a poor job on my work, and probably it'll be okay. And that sets the tone for if Andrew holds the line, and that's him, I better hold the line too because that's what's expected of me, and that is. Very, very hard. I, I struggled with that in the beginning. It's not easy because there's days where your your heart may not be in it, but mm-hmm. you still gotta hold that line. Otherwise, all these wonderful processes and quality and all these other things, they will fall apart as quickly as you as as, as possible because human nature will always be to look for the easiest route possible. Right. Get it to get it to a point where it's good enough for me. And that may not be good enough for our customers. Right, right. Yeah, that's powerful. You had a little mic drop moment right there. That was good. (laughs) I'm tired of being the only guy doing this. At the end of the day, I don't like that. And I'm tired Mm -hmm. of of being in in conferences and and, and events with other managers where they're like, this is not possible. This this can't be done. Yes, it can. Mm -hmm. You got to want it bad enough first. Mm -hmm. You got to take a hard look at yourself. If you're willing to do the work and you care about your people, you can get there and achieve these same things that I did. I'm not a rocket scientist. I love (laughs) what I do, but at the same time, I, I, I have to be honest with myself about what I expect from everyone and what I will tolerate at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Lead by example, right? Yeah. Uh, What do they say? Action or lessons are caught, not taught. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And I always thought that's an interesting thing to say. And then I had children and I was like, oh yeah, for real. Completely <laughs> true. It's all about leading by example. Well, I appreciate you, Andrew, coming back on. Congratulations again. What a yeah. what an amazing feat that was. Yeah. And um, I hope that you can win it next year, second time in a row. Is that the goal now for everybody? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I like I said, I, I I'm honored that we won, but I, I want others to carry the torch that I've carried. I want them to to carry it as well. I hope people can see that it's your path. You, something got you into this industry. And if you got into a managerial position, that meant you got there for some reason. You don't just generally land that right. by accident, right? Right. Something carried you to get you to that point. The people deserve your best at the end of the day. Mm. And I and I even though yes, it'd be great to win again, 
I, I, I hope I inspire others hmm. to do the same thing. Because yeah. I don't mind having another plaque in my lobby. That would be great. But yeah. at the same time, it's not just about me. It's it's to prove that you can do this too. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's what makes you so special, Andrew. It's not all about, you know, me and the you know, yourself and the accolades. It's, that's really uh, the yeah. and, I, and, and I was blessed to have very good uh, mentors that inspired this whole thought process in me and I've carried it forward and I and I feel the industry is at a very crucial turning point mm-hmm. that that hopefully this stuff can start to take off and make it an attractive industry for people to want to come into. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Well, we'll have you back on again once you've hit that 500,000 and you've had to revamp <laughs> yeah. your processes. <laughs> Thank you. I will let you know. I will yes. let you know. Well, thanks again for coming on and thank you for listening to this episode of the Body Banging Podcast. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed today's show, make sure you hit the subscribe button. We have some incredible topics and guests coming your way you will not want to miss. If you are watching on YouTube and don't want to miss the latest and greatest, you'll want to hit the bell after subscribing so you will get a pop-up each time a video podcast goes live. To our devoted fans, would you mind paying it forward and sharing this little gem with someone else you think may benefit from it? Much love from all of us here at Body Bangin', all things Autobody.